Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Bryce Robertson from Cultivate Collective. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in here. Bryce purchased his first mobile home park back in 2015 with a net worth of negative $50,000. He also had unseasoned credit and a mere $2,000 in the bank. Once Bryce closed that seemingly impossible deal, he knew that anything was possible and continued to grow his knowledge, experience, and wealth to become financially free within two and a half years through mobile home park investing. Bryce, welcome to the show. G'day, Andrew. Great to be here, brother. Yeah, man. Would you mind starting out uh, by telling us your story and how in the world you got into manufactured housing? Sure. So Bryce Robertson, um, native from Australia, got to near the end of high school and realized I wasn't doing university. It just wasn't my jam. I wanted to go out there and make money as soon as I could, but I had no influences in the business world or entrepreneurship. So I went out and got the highest paying blue collar job because I thought that was my best shot. So I started an apprenticeship as a steel fabricator welder, um, completed that, and then went and worked out in the underground gold mines in Western Australia. And I was working 12 to 14 hours a day seven days a week, eight weeks on, one week off, enabled me to get a good worth ethic and also save up a little bit of cash because in my early 20s, I had a dream that I wanted to travel the world uh, for six years. And that's what I did. And here's how I did it. First, I started off with my uh, base camp in London, England. And I call it my base camp because that's where I earned my money. So I'd work there like, you know, five to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day uh, for three, four months at a time save up a little chunk of cash, go traveling for Europe. And then I would basically come back when my money ran out, keep working, go to Africa. And I did the whole UK, Europe and Africa cycle for three years. Then after that, I wanted to change the scenery. So I went over to a really small ski village of 5,000 people in called Fernie in British Columbia, Canada, because I wanted to do a snowboarding season. And I loved it so much there that I ended up staying there for two years. And they also had coal mines just down the road. So I started my own gig out in the coal mines. And then when I wasn't working there, I was firefighting, downhill mountain biking, snowboarding, or enjoying the outdoor mountainous activities. Because of that, I didn't really travel much through that two years, and it enabled me to save an even bigger chunk of cash. And then after that, I went on an 18-month surfing and scuba diving trip down in uh, Central and South America. In the last six months of that, that's when I met my wife, who's a native from California. So about 13 years ago, I ended up here in the States. And when we got to the States, we wanted to recreate this type of freedom lifestyle, except number one, we wanted to do it without our money running out. And number two, wanted our money to grow while we're traveling and adventuring and enjoying our lives. So we went out and we looked at the three main ways to make big bucks. That's owning a business, real estate, and the stock market. I think cryptocurrencies probably fits in the stock market category, but it wasn't really a thing back then. 
So in the beginning, I tried about seven different side hustles. And then after not too long at all, I realized I was spinning plates. I was having mediocre success. I needed to take a big step back and laser focus on one thing. I knew it was going to be real estate because at the time I had a 20-year background in construction and construction management. And uh, what was I going to do in real estate? So I looked at multifamily apartments, mobile home parks, self-storage, notes, single family, long-term, short-term, the whole kit and caboodle. And over and over and over again, mobile home parks kept popping off the page to me. Massive supply and demand in favor of mobile home park owners getting to contribute to what I believe is America's number one real estate problem. And that's the need for affordable housing, awesome tax benefits, not much competition, high cash flows excellent returns I was in. And so, uh, yeah, then I, then I put my first mobile home park under contract and you kind of told the story on how that played out just before. That is fantastic, man. Wow. Kudos to you for, you know, just having that grit and, and climbing through to chase your, uh, chase your goals. You know, I wanted to circle back to the traveling. Do you still travel? Do you still get out and you know, do some exotic sports and things like that? Yeah, so traveling, it's it's definitely something I love to do. I haven't traveled internationally so much in the last couple of years. I've been doing a lot of travel in the States. And you kind of touched on it. You touched on like, you know, activities and adventures. I'm actually just embarking on mountaineering. I'm actually going and doing my six-day mountaineering course out in Mount Baker, Washington, which prepares me to to conquer some big summits. And then um, later on this year, I'm planning to go to Kilimanjaro and do that one. And then around Christmas time, go down to Anconcagua, which is the tallest mountain down in, um, it's in tallest mountain in the Americas, down in Argentina. And then next year, uh, in a perfect world, if everything lines up, I'll um, go down to Vincent and, and do a mountaineering expedition down in the Antarctic. And then um, Cho Oyu, which is over in Tibet, it's actually the sixth tallest mountain in the world. So it's, it's a way for me to enjoy travel, um, get my adventure in. It also like keeps me fit and like gives me a focus for my, um, basically my health. You know, I've done things like Spartan races and things like that. And that keeps me excited for maybe six months, but this is like, you know, a couple of years of expeditions and I really got to be in good shape. So it's kind of good for, good for everything. Dude, that is so exciting. And this is obviously the passive mobile home park investing podcast. And, you know, for myself, it has been less passive, but how in the world are you able to, you know, do all those things alongside a growing portfolio of mobile home parks? Like how, how are you able to make it passive for yourself? So you answered that question with the word you have right beside your head there, team. And that really is, is how it's possible. I mean, real estate investing is a team sport. And it's really about knowing how to build teams, how to outsource, how to educate everybody on the team, how to you know, project our vision so that everybody understands the big picture of what we're doing, and then project our vision of even like the small tasks. And so we're really in a, a, a large growth mode, we're expanding our team. Uh, we actually are transitioning from eight core team members to 14 core team members. Um, literally right now, um, all full-time people. We've got a lot more people that are working on site at the project level. But this is just like the in-house core team. So we're really ramping ourselves up for, for continued massive growth. And uh, really my focus is getting A players in every section of the business. So I'm literally working on the business, not in the business. 
And in the beginning, I mean, obviously, I was very, very in the business for quite a long time. Sure. What does your your team look like? Do you have your own management company? Do you? Mm. How do you? You know, of those fourteen core t- team members, what do they do? Yeah. So we've got our own property management company. We've got our own asset management company. We've got our own in-house construction crews. But those those construction crews and all the on-site staff and the project management isn't really included in that core team. And the core team is taking care of investor relations. We've got a few team members there. Um, also on the acquisition side, um, we've got a few team members there. And then we've got the um, project execution, like making sure the business plan is getting done under budget, head of schedule. And then there's a whole bunch of admin and, and other things behind the scenes as well. That's awesome. That's really cool. What do you think is the, the toughest hurdle uh, to mobile home park investing that most operators face? Honestly, think that I mean you have to be up for a certain amount of complexity because we we manage our own properties. It's not really a space where people are hiring third party management companies that are having great success because basically the amount that they would get paid for small parks doesn't pencil out. So you have to self manage. So there's a lot of complexity to it. But I would really I honestly think that like the hardest thing and you would know about this as well, is that like finding the right deals and getting the right deal up front. Because if you don't get the right deal up front, you can say, oh, look, I've got, you know, all these assets under management, but are they really going to perform that well? And especially today in today's economic environment, that's unwinding and twisting and evolving very quickly. I think we really need to be cautious on what we're actually buying. So I think acquisitions and getting our acquisitions right is probably the most challenging but most rewarding piece of all of this. And then if we buy right up the front, we can handle all of the things going wrong. We can handle everything playing out worst case scenario. And we know we're still going to be good. But if we don't get that piece right up front, then we could essentially be stuck with a hot potato. Yeah. And how do, how do you do that currently? How do you find those, you know, those deals that you're purchasing, those off-market deals? Are you, you know, cold calling? Are you using brokers? How's that mm-hmm. work now? Yeah, so we're cold calling, we're mailing, we're using brokers, we're working with wholesalers, uh, we are working with people who refer deals to us. We've been in the game full-time since 2015, so we've got quite a few like different avenues for deals coming to us. You know, even if time permits, our team will do drive-bys and actually drive for dollars and speak to managers. And um, that's a little bit more time intensive, but very rewarding as well. And uh, But I really think like the main key to what we're doing specifically is our really conservative underwriting. I study macroeconomics, and so I am pretty paranoid about the potential of the high probabilities and possibilities of things that could go wrong in our economy. And if you scan back and take a look at this from a macro scale, we've got really weak systems. We've got a weak financial system. We've got weak banking systems. We've got just everything economically, even our health sectors, our education. And if you look at the whole societal systems, I think we're due 
for basically a detox and a change in a lot of these systems. And, you know, just looking at simple things like what are they doing with interest rates? What are cap rates going to do? Are rents going to still be able to increase or not? Are we going to be hit for taxes and things like that? So the way that we're navigating through this is by having ultra conservative underwriting so that we feel we can weather, not only weather the worst case scenario, but thrive through it. So if we're bringing a deal to the table right now that we're projecting for a five-year business plan and it's got a refinance in it because a lot of the properties we're buying are 50% occupied. And so if we're doing a refinance, we're probably doing that 12 to 36 months into the business plan. And we're adding on 2% to what current interest rates are for the interest rate at the refinance. We're also adding on 2% to current cap rates for the refinance cap rate, just in case cap rates increase in lag after interest rates do. We're adding on 3% to our exit cap, uh, 3% on top of what normal cap rates are now, just in case we have more of a cap rate increase between now and the five-year exit. We are doubling our construction timelines. Now we're working with our own in-house construction crews. We still do use some local vendors, but we're subject to cities and counties and other parties that could slow down our business plan and supply chain issues and things like this could really slow down our time. So if we say we are going to our investors, we're going to refinance in two years, very likely we're going to refinance in 12 months. Um, but we like to have really conservative projections on that to build in for worst case scenarios. We're adding on about 50% to all of our construction costs. So that's quite a big buffer. And sometimes we've even done more than that. That's to build in for price inflation, for supply chain issues. Maybe we can't buy the materials we want. We have to go to a different type of material or get creative. What we're doing is obviously we have money left over in that budget when we do things um, under budget. And then we're going out and we're buying a small mobile home park to add to the portfolio before the refinance. And we're, we're cranking up the NOI and everything like that. We're also doubling our property taxes. Now, even though there has been no talk about increasing property taxes, uh, we, you know, quantitative easing has been happening, money printing. And so we're looking at what could happen during the hold period in the next five years. Are they going to come back at us? Because who's going to pay back the money printing? The general public. And it's going to be paid in form of taxation. Price inflation is taxation. Also, they, they could hit us with property tax increases, capital gains tax increases. Who knows? So we're building in for that. And right now, at a lot of our parks, we're able to raise about 20% year on year, especially because we're buying um, undervalued properties. 50% occupied where they haven't really raised the rents properly. So we've got some catch up to do. Um, but we only underwrite with zero to 5% rent increase just in case the market shifts, just in case there's a whole bunch of states that could potentially bring in rent controls. So these are the kinds of measures where we're bringing to the table to make sure that we can weather the storm. And the reason why we can pull these up, this off on most of our deals is because, um, you know, again, we're buying like 50% occupied properties that are undervalued. We're buying up to 90% as well, but a lot of our parks have heavy value add and we're doing a lot of the construction stuff in-house ourselves. That's awesome, man. Bryce, thank you for giving clear examples too. You know, we've had other guests that are like, yeah, I, I have conservative underwriting and you know, they don't give specific examples. So kudos to you. And I would say, yeah, I mean, all of that that you mentioned are, are very conservative measures. So Kudos. Mel, why don't you tell us about your portfolio? You, you bought your first park in 2015. 
you know, was it just you? Did you have a team at that point? How many lots was that park? How many, you know, lots are you up to now? Yeah. Yeah. So first park, yep, that was just me. Even the second park, we brought in some JV partners, but essentially on my side of things, it was all just me. It wasn't actually, see, I bought the first mobile home park in 2015, became financially free in 2017. Then after that, I, we actually traveled for quite a bit. You know, my wife and I traveled the world. We had a really awesome time. We enjoyed the financial freedom piece. And then in 2019, one of my mentee students was in a position where, and I'd been working with him for a couple of years. His name is Nolan Freeland. And um, I was mentoring him and he was doing everything that I was telling him to do. And he was kicking butt. And then all of a sudden his life situation changed and he was kind of stuck at a standstill where he wanted to keep growing, but the circumstances he had were stopping him from growing certain business partners and things like that. So uh, I ended up teaming up with him and bringing him on board. And then I think in 2020, I brought him on board and then we started going bananas in 2021, 22, and now we're in 23. Um, we've bought like, you know, 12 mobile home parks in the last nine months. Um, right now we've got 16 mobile home parks. We actually went full cycle on a couple of our mobile home parks. We've got hundred percent track record of exceeding our projections. Obviously, when you look at our underwriting, that makes a lot of sense. And all of the current projects that we're working on, we are ahead of the game. So it looks like we're going to refinance way ahead of the schedules, two to four, uh, times ahead of schedule on, on these projects. Yeah, right now we've got around about a little over a thousand lots, I think. And uh, yeah, we're, we're in a big growth phase. That's fantastic, man. Kudos and congrats on the success. You know, the last, geez, the last 10 years have been really awesome. Uh, interested in hearing your perspective on, you know, what the next five years is going to look like. So... I mentioned earlier, I think America's number one real estate problem is a need for affordable housing. Right now, mobile home parks are the largest contributor to solving that problem. But by simple math, it's physically impossible that mobile home parks will serve it along. We'll, we'll, we'll solve that alone. Right now, the supply and demand is massively in favor for mobile home parks. We used to have wait lists of maybe three to five pre-screened tenants ready for the next home. Some of our parks have got like up to 80 tenants where like as soon as we've got a home available, I mean, it's filled, right? So if, if, we, if we're not filling a home within 30 days, there's something really wrong or we've chosen the wrong market. And we, so we've got really, really solid supply and demand massively in favor for mobile home parks right now. Now, I'll sidetrack real quick and say that whoever is going to contribute to successfully and sustainably solving the problem of affordable housing over the next five to 10 years, I think is going to be very profitable because that's just solving a big problem that needs to be solved. But right now, mobile home parks are the largest contributor to solving that. And so I personally think that the economy is going to get more challenging over the next two years. I think that we'll probably hit rock bottom in about two years from now. Look, it doesn't matter if my predictions are off, if my timing's off, it doesn't really matter. I just look at the whole the whole macro of that our banking system, our financing, our financial system, our uh, cycles that have happened in real estate, the stock market, boom bust cycles, they're not sustainable. What goes up must come down. 
And I think that we're, we're heading towards that. And so when we have that economic decline or economic challenges, could be from many different things. It could be from like the energy sector, you know, forexing or 10xing energy costs like happened over in the UK that we'd had an 80% increase, 80% to 1000% increase in energy costs for, for utility users over in the UK. That's been happening in the last like couple of months. So if something like that happens here, you know, costs are going to go up massively. People are going to be in a hard financial position. There's a million other things that could make the economy crumble or become more challenging. And when that happens, people downsize in housing. They need to cut costs. They need to cut their living costs. They go from A-class apartments to B-class apartments to C-class apartments, probably down to mobile home parks. And then if you're not staying, if you can't afford to stay in a mobile home park, you're either staying with like family and friends, you're sleeping in your car or a tent, or you're homeless, you know? So what do you say, you know, because I'm in mobile home parks too, so I'm, I'm on your team. But some investors that I've met with, they say, hey, you're, you're providing housing to the lowest common denominator, right? You're providing housing to the people that are most fragile. Their income streams are most fragile. So mm-hmm. what do you say to that? You know, that, hey, your tenant base is, is you know, one pink note away from losing their job and not being able to pay rent. Yeah, so I'd say two things to that. One thing um, to that is that the supply and demand side of things, arguably, depending on where you're getting your information on, you could say that 20 to 30% of people in America are in the need for affordable housing. And mobile home parks are taking up such a small, small fraction of that space. The math is like, there's no way we could support all of the people that are in need for affordable housing, but we seem to be the best option currently today. There's only about like 44, 45,000 mobile home parks nationwide. There's a 1% decline each year because they're closing more parks than they're allowing being built. And so the supply and demand is massively in favor of mobile home parks. What we've seen over the last couple of couple of months, couple of years, is as things have been becoming increasingly economically challenging and the lockdowns and all these things that were happening, we've seen a higher clientele of mobile home park clients actually coming to live in our communities. We're not really dealing with the same people who we used to deal with back in 2015 to 2019, 20, even 21. We're dealing with people who um, like have nice cars. They've got good jobs. They just need like more affordable housing. They're buying new mobile homes or they're renting new mobile homes. And it just seems like a better, more affordable option for them. So we're actually seeing a higher clientele coming into our communities. And like I say, with the amount of demand that's actually that we've got at our mobile home parks, Um, I just, until there is a major solving of this affordable housing problem somewhere else in some other sector, in some capacity, I don't think that's going to happen very quickly. I think that's going to take a long time to implement Um, until something like that happens at a really, really large scale. I think mobile home parks are relatively sheltered. Nice. Bryce, I mean, obviously it seems like you're going after like a value add strategy, 50% occupancy, you know. Has that always been your your strategy in the space or did you, no. uh, you know, how has your, your strategy changed? We used to actually like to buy 80% occupied more. That's called a stabilized park. Anything from like 70 to 80% occupied. Lenders consider that to be stabilized. You get better financing. Insurance is better. There's a little value add portion to it. 
And so there was, there was enough meat on the bone for deals to make sense. But this is back when we were buying like 12 caps, nine caps, things like this. And sure, we have still bought some of these 50% occupied properties that are like 11 cap and 10 cap in the last couple of years. But these like more stabilized properties, they're down to, you know, six caps, five caps. Some of them I've seen as low as two caps in markets that aren't even like absolutely amazing, you know? So we've seen the cap rate compression as cap rates are coming down. So the values are going up. So that means that there's less, there's less profits in the deal. And the way we look at mobile home parks is how many le profit levers can we pull in a mobile home park? And those kinds of profit levers are reducing expenses, increasing revenue. How do we increase revenue? We increase revenue by we could build back utilities. We can raise rents. We can fill vacant units. We can bring in more units to fill on vacant spaces. They're like the main ways. And so when you're looking at like an 80, 90% occupied property, buying it at a five cap, which is probably what most parks are trading at right now, um, if we, we need to make our like investor returns, I mean, we, we shoot to um, exceed doubling our investors' capital each five years. Um, there's other metrics that we have. I can share them too if you want. But so we look at like, so we look, does this deal fit our criteria? Is it going to make enough money for our investors? And so we realized in about 2021, especially, we had to change our business plan. Like financing's becoming more expensive. The parks are becoming more expensive. There's less levers to pull. Like we need more levers to pull. And so that's why we've been buying 50% occupied properties where there's tons of value add. You know, we're buying properties for like 22 to 25,000 per pad. And then we're refinancing or selling them for like 50 to 70,000 per pad. Some of them we've bought, they've been a little bit more expensive than that. Um, and there's a lot of work involved in it. It's not just something that you can just go out there and do. But, um, you know, we've got a strong construction background. We've got good in-house crews and a strong team. And so that's been working really well for us. You know, interest rates are getting even harder. Costs are going up. It's harder to find like contractors. You know, contractors are like a dying breed right now. Um, I think that back in the day or even recently or even up to now, people would say, well, being a doctor or being attorney is some of the best paying jobs. I think fast forward five, 10 years from now, people who are in the blue collared field, just because of the supply and demand, I think they're going to be very profitable people owning businesses and working in that space. There's all these baby boomers that are actually retiring right now. And there's not many millennials or younger generations coming in to backfill that. So um, all of these things are just making it harder and harder for deals to pencil out. So we're trying to find deals that are really under-occupied, where we've got tons of levers to pull, rents are under, occupancies under, a lot of work needs to be done to like make it quality, um, but, we, but we bring that on. And we'll continue to keep shifting as the market keeps shifting. We're going to keep doing our best to anticipate and stay ahead of the game. So we're putting ourselves in the highest probabilities and possibilities of succeeding. That's awesome. That's fantastic. What mistakes in mobile home park investing have you made that we could learn from? First deal, I gave way too much to my investors. So that was like a, that was like a, a lesson on um, deal structuring. I really didn't know how to structure deals back then. Utilities have been, you know, a pretty strong lesson in the mobile home park space. I had a gas system on my first mobile home park, um, had leaks in the system. 
Then the, the gas company came out and shut it down and we had to pressurize the system. And then when you, because that, that's how it works with these gas systems. When we repressurize the system, we blew more holes. It was in the middle of winter. Nobody had heating food, all these things. So we, we steer clear of um, private utilities. And uh, I mean, we've got septic systems and water wells. We're totally fine with those. We don't have any other private utilities. And um, really, it's about like building. It's about attracting and building good teams because I could have the best business plan and I could be like the best like business owner. But unless I have like a good team executing that at the property level, then it's just you're kind of, you know, peeing in the wind, so to speak. And so I really just think that, you know, team building and having the right core members um, is really, really key to this. And that's been part of the challenge in the earlier places where I didn't have the right team members, didn't want to fire them and rehire them quick enough, wanted to give them a better go. Um, we've got a really, really good hiring and onboarding system now where we, we sort the weeds from the, the, the hay from the shaft or whatever you want to call it uh, much earlier in the stage before we even bring people on. But it's, it's management intensive, man. And, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to it. There's a lot of complexities and we're learning every day. That's awesome. This is like one of our most popular questions that we ask that our, that our listeners love. It's what are the most important things that passive investors need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? Now we're talking about like LPs here. We're talking mm -hmm. about completely passive. Yeah. What are the most important things they need to look at? Okay. Number one. Right now in this market and over the next at least five years, I would probably say 10 years, but definitely the next five years, what is the underwriting assumptions behind their business plan? Okay, cool. They say they're going to give you a 17 or 19% IRR and 8 to 12% cash on cash. They'll double your money in five years. But is that because they're raising their rents like 100% over the next five years? Is that, you know, is it, can they pull that business plan off? Do you really think that they can do it? We spoke about that earlier. I think that's number one right now. Um, number two is uh, I tell all of my investors, yes, you want the deal to meet your criteria and you want the deal to make sense, but it's the team. It's the people who are going to manage the deal. It's the people who are going to, who are going to execute on the business plan that are going to make the difference because you can have an excellent deal that's poorly managed and then you have average results or you can take an average asset, an average deal, really well managed, and you can crush it. So I think that, you know, I used to say more than 50%. Um, but now in these days, I'd actually probably say 80% um, of the decision making power uh, could arguably weigh, be weighed against the operator themselves versus the actual deal. Um, and I'm not a legal advisor, CPA, attorney, or anything like that. I'm not giving anybody advice. You got to make all your own decisions and, and consult with your own advisors. Um, this is just for some food for thought, some information. If you look at what's happening in the multifamily apartment space right now, 40% by this is by June 2023, 40% of the operators in the multifamily space that acquired apartments while uh, using adjustable rate mortgages, by June, 40% of those people are going to be in a position where it's extremely, extremely unlikely that they would be able to refinance and be putting themselves in a, a high probability of not having enough money to be able to pay for their expenses, being in a negative cash flow situation. Um, so I think you know that's probably not being spoken about too much right now. 
But it's things like this that we're going to see happening. Things like this are happening right now. There's bank runs and bank closures and all these exposures. It's like Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, you see who's got their pants down and the tide's going out. There's a lot of different things that are going to expose people. Is your business plan plan really resilient? Are you really prepared for what's coming and what's what's here right now? And so I think, you know, looking at our operators, what their business plan is, what they plan to do in all of these potentially um, challenging times. These are all the questions that we need to ask. You know, where where are we keeping our capital right now? Where are we keeping our capital reserves? Are we exposing it to fragile banks that could experience a bank run? Um, you know, the FDIC can only cover, I think it's 1.68% of the insured amount of, of, the, of bank accounts, which most of them are 250,000. Brokerage accounts like Schwab and Fidelity, they're about 500,000. But of the, and people have more money in their accounts than that. But of those accounts, um, the FDIC can only um, cover 1.68%, I believe, and that's declining. Each month, that's declining, becoming less and less of what they can cover in insurance. Um, if people in America, if less than 2% of the money was drawn out of banks, banks would be insolvent and banks would close on a, on a total scale. So when we look at things like this, like how we, where are we keeping our money? Or are we keeping our money in safe places? What are we going to do in these very frail, um, potentially really challenging environments and, and asking all these sorts of questions? Because don't make our decisions off what's happening today. Think about what could happen over the next five years. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to be asking ourselves right now as, as limited partners. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing some of those nuggets there. That was interesting. Scary times ahead, for sure. Last question, Bryce. What does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? The perfect mobile home park? Yeah, I would just, I'd say probably the perfect mobile home park in my eyes would be something that was significantly under market rents where all we had to do is just increase the rents. We didn't really have to do any heavy lifting. You know, I mentioned before, the more levers we can pull, the more profits we can potentially make, but the more levers there are, the more things that could go wrong too. And so um, if all we have to do is just significantly raise rents because for some reason, the mom and pop who owned it were in a time capsule for the last 30 years and they haven't raised rents since the 80s or 90s, then you know that would be a perfect case scenario for us, and um, we'd have to do really uh, light lifting. But we love mobile home parks. We love the game. We're, we're down to take on all the complexities. So um, I suppose every park that we've been buying is a perfect park. You know. There you go. There you go. On the raising rents piece, you know, obviously some operators have been you know giving giving the industry a, a black eye with with the rent increases too fast. You know, what do you think is raising you know too much in a in a single year well there's a few things before i answer that i think we have to look at like what are market rents you know and if people are really really below market rents this is where some of the publicity gets out of hand it's like well they raised their rents a hundred hundred dollars on us and it was you know they went up like 30 percent in one year it's like okay but you were 30 percent under market so consider yourself lucky for the amount of time that you didn't pay market rents, but like we're subject to all of the increasing costs and everything like that. So, you know, if, if people are raising over market rents, that's when I think conversations like that can be brought to the table and you can say, Hey, like, 
you know, these guys raised a hundred bucks a year and it was like 30% increase. Uh, and now they're 30% over market. Yeah, that's unethical, you know, but if we're bringing, like we're buying 50% occupied properties, they've had a challenge either with the, they don't have enough money to do the remodeling and fill the vacant lots or they don't, they can't handle the management complexity of all the construction and the management and the sales and everything that's involved. That's why we're buying 50% occupied properties. And usually those people, they're not raising their rents because they don't want to lose like the 50% of people that they've got there. They don't want to get that down to 45 or 40 or 30. So a lot of our parks we're buying are significantly under rents. So we, we increase our rents day one up to market or just below market. We like to be a little bit below market and then we're clearly the best choice and have a higher quality asset than other people in the market. Um, and we'll see a little bit of turnover, but it's really just, you know, count yourselves lucky for the years that you didn't um, pay market rents, you know, and you've been saving money to now. Yeah, yeah. And as long as you're doing some sort of, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you guys are going to fix the deferred maintenance and improve the property, right? Because everybody wins, you know, you'll be able to get better debt if the properties, you know, ran in a certain way. So it's, it's justified rent increases versus just, you know, ripping the bandaid off and going up, right? Yeah, we're not just like raising rents with no validation. So when we, when we close on a deal, when we buy a deal, um, we've got enough money for the down payment for the loan, the closing costs, and all the capital expenditures for the business plan. And then we take massive action to get all of that conquered in a really short period of time. So as soon as we take over, everybody's like, whoa, they're remodeling homes, they're redoing the roads, they're landscaping, putting new signs in, putting plants in, um, getting better lighting. Um, and then we start remodeling all our homes and then other tenants are like, yeah, we're going to paint our homes too. And we're going to clean our things up. And, um, you know, within, within six months to a year at most of our parks, it's just like night and day difference. You know, it's like That's taking awesome. a homeless person off the streets and putting them in a tuxedo and sending them <laughs> to the Oscars or something like that. You know, that's super cool, man. Bryce, how can our listeners get a hold of you if they'd like to do so? Yeah. Check us out at investcultivate.com. That's invest, C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight.com. Awesome, Bryce. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing uh, lots of golden nuggets with our listeners. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Passive MHP Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent mobile home park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Passive MHP Investing on Instagram. See you there.